You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Welcome to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Its purpose is to look into horror films, dissecting them one screen legend at a time. Our focus for this upcoming season, or this current season, is to look at the Friday the 13th franchise. Um, and the idea is that we look at this um, particular uh, franchise and the impact that it's had on the horror film scene. Uh, in order to successfully do this, I do need a team of horror aficionados who form the surgical team each episode. Uh, first up, there's yours truly, Paul Farrell, lead surgeon and host for the series of the podcast. Um, joining me um, each episode, particularly at the operating theatre and talking around the Friday the 13th franchise, is Miles Davies. Thank you, Miles, for joining me. Hello. <laughs> um, it's good to have you aboard again, buddy. So this, um, so this, uh, we're now coming into the third instalment. So this Friday the Thirteenth, Part Three, D. Um, so um, <laughs> yeah, Three <laughs> D. I love it. I almost felt like I should have had my green and red glasses on. I know <laughs> when this came out, and yeah, the Three uh, D. It actually looks alright though. I wish it. I wish I could have seen it in Three D. Yeah, that's true. Actually, there was pockets in it where I was watching it. And I was just like, actually, that would have been quite quite cool to see that, you know, mm. in a in a three D environment rather than uh, mock three D when you're watching it on your yeah TV uh-huh. screen. Um, but yeah, we'll come to the whole three D kind of component uh-huh. of it. Um, so look, this is the third instalment. We have Steve Miner coming back to direct it for what would be his second outing at the uh, in the director's chair. Um, but let, let's um, let's uh, as is usual. We'll we'll start talking about the plot line, and you know we'll we'll drift here and there as we go through it. Um, and for those listeners that are new to this, uh, the idea is that we get together, we talk about a particular film, and the first instance is that I almost kind of talk about the narrative or plot line of the film before then we start getting into the the guts of the subject by talking about the players of the piece. Um, maybe a few notes around the director's um, commentary or, or angle that they may have been going for in this in the particular movie, and then uh, we round things up with our final verdict. Um, so let's let's talk about the movie. We open up on uh, with the music and credits. Uh, we um, a bit similar to the second instalment. We start we get like the closing me- moments of the uh, previous movie. Um, so we have Jenny coming back to the shack. Uh, finding the dead bodies and the dismembered head of Mrs. Voorhees. Uh, and then we see her again putting on the jumper and pretending to be Mrs. Voorhees. And that's when Jason breaks in. Um, he falls for the ruse until he sees his mother's head. Uh, then Paul arrives, a struggle ensues. Jenny grabs the machete, swings it down on him, and uh, Jason collapses. Paul and Jenny leave the shack, and then Jason rises once more, and we close on Mrs. Voorhees' head. Then, interestingly, we then have the proper open credits with some funky music. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to really get down. <laughs> yeah. It, it, like proper 1980s disco dance. Disco music. And I was I, I listened to the commentary on this, and um, <laughs> and, and uh, Harry Mancini is there. You know, he, he did the original score. Um, but he's, he talks about how this apparently was an actual hit at the time, too. Oh no way! Seriously, that's what that's what he said, and I'm listening to it going, "This is terrible." 
It was awful. It was so inappropriate, the music. I know. I just went, oh, you're shitting me. I immediately, like... Then there's a flashy title zooming at the screen. Yeah, that's right. Superman as well. Yeah, yeah, which is supposed to jump out of the screen in 3D mode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Anyway, once we get... Once we... um, it, it really jarred too. It just shook you yeah. out of the movie. Anyway, once once you get beyond that, we open up with the story proper. Now we have uh, we have a cabin and there's sheets being that have been hung out to dry. There's a woman yelling at her husband from a window before she sits down to knit in front of the TV. Um, a news broadcast comes on and it's telling us of the incident um, of the night before. Um, and I think the from memory the the news reporter is Steve Miner. Oh, cool. I want to say it was actually him. I know he does a cameo at some point. Um, yeah, I think that's him. Um, so he hears a he hears a uh, sorry she hears a noise and presumes that it's her husband, but we know it's Jason because we can see his figure stumbling around outside. Uh, she goes to get the washing in and we see uh, a figure and goes back inside. Um, the husband, meanwhile, is in the store at the front and we see Jason in the window behind him. So there's a lot of that kind of shadows, um, yeah. seeing him in the foreground or background while the while the uh, the subject or the person isn't isn't like noticing or looking at at it as it unfolds. Um, they were very Michael Myers of this. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then we get the husband, and he grabs this pet rabbit and starts to help himself to some food in the store. His wife catches him. So we get this kind of whole nagging wife, husband, kind of almost comedy routine thing going on here. Um, yeah. And he goes back out to the barn to put the rabbit away, and then he discovers that all these rabbits have been killed. Um, and then we get our first 3D moment, where a snake comes lurching out of him from the hutch, uh, and he and he runs back into the house. Did what? Did you have any thoughts on that particular moment, or it was just I was waiting for someone to jump out. Obviously, they were very keen on experimenting with the the 3D stuff, and yeah. so big shocks were coming early. So uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that wasn't a surprise. No, no, it was the same. The it, it was interesting. Like I think um, in in the commentary notes as well at the end, they kind of did say how they were really experimenting a lot because it was. 3D hadn't really been done since like the 50s and 60s, you know, and this yeah. was the first chance to revisit it again. Um, yeah, so there was a, like a massive resurgence around this time. Yeah. And um, I remember going to see a couple of movies at the cinema. I think it was, it was like Transformers movie or something that was in 3D. Yes. Uh, so a lot of cartoons were coming out in 3D and they were quite effective. But And I did see the trailer for this uh, at the time, but I was very young so yeah, yeah. and it did look like there was actually some cool 3D moments in it and you know any chance they got to poke something up the screen that's and, it you know did it so yeah that's right <laughs> so get on <laughs> um, okay so uh, later um, we have the guy he's uh, he goes to the outhouse and he starts to get the feeling that he's being watched and he checks all the closets he looks outside and then is promptly dispatched in the chest with a machete so our first kill. Nice. Some nice gruesome moments in this. Yeah, yeah. First, first of many. Yeah, and that's and that's something mine is and in, in in his credit, and I'm probably hinting mm. at my uh, thoughts of the movie. Um, 
But in this particular movie, like, oh, to Steve Miner's credit, he's always been very good at the goal factor and bringing the goal factor yeah. to it. Um, and, and, doing and that's, it well. what, that's what was missing out of the two, uh, yeah. episode two, was that it yeah. didn't have no, that's all right. those goal moments. So it was, it was a nice welcome to re- return to the franchise. Yeah, definitely. So, Agreed. Mm. Um, so um, then we come back to the wife who's, who kind of goes out to investigate. She gets frightened by a mouse and then walks with her back to the door. And at this point, we get Jason's hand crashing through the window and he stabs her to death with a knitting needle through the back and then impaling through her eye and then poking out with 3D moments. Beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> uh, not, so not the last eye that comes poking out of the screen either. <laughs> no, no, that's right. So, um, look, I, I quite like this as, as a, I thought as an effect, uh, as far as a killer is concerned. Not necessarily the effect, I just like the, uh, the use of the knitting needle impaling her and thought that was kind of a a cool moment within the movie yeah um we see our would-be victims as um you know they uh, so we're introduced to the to the young cast members uh, and they tick all the right boxes you know they're drug fueled and sexually ramped up rearing to go um so all the right boxes. Tommy Chong, yeah. absolute Tommy Chong lookalike that's yeah, it. I, I swear I was like Tommy Chunk. I don't remember him being in this. <laughs> and then he spoke. I was like, "No, it's not Tommy Chunk." No, no, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I was very disappointed. I was like, "Man, for a moment you thought you it. discovered a gem." <laughs> yeah, yeah, a hidden teaching Chunk class. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so they kind of they meet a strange tramp um, on the road, which is almost a bit like Crazy Ralph in a sense. Yeah. I felt like because obviously. He's been, he, the character's been killed off in the second part, but it was almost like they felt they needed that oddball old go, old guy kind of to you know move things along, and they, they kind they, of he, cut, he, he does. There does seem to be that sort of uh, formula where they have a crazy guy at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. Talking about course, doom and gloom, and you know, yeah, yeah. Well, maybe he's the um, he's Tiresias, the blind seer of Thebes, maybe. Who um, is the crazy one that predicts everything going wrong in all the ancient Greek plays? Yeah, so yeah. maybe that's what—that's essentially what he is. I've always sort of thought maybe that's probably. What I, he I, is I like I like the fact that you have hope that it had that deep meaning attached to it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love it if Steve Miner comes out and goes, "Oh yeah, yeah, that's what we—that's what we were planning all along." Yeah, <laughs> yeah of course. <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm sure there's a commonality in a lot of the storytelling there. No, that's right. Yeah. Anyway, that's good. So we get like another weird kind of 3D moment as well, where he shoves that eyeball at the camera as well. Oh yeah, that's right. Um, which weirdly didn't that? look much like an eyeball to me, but I don't know whether that was just because the um, the yeah. effects didn't look too good. But anyway, um, so the guys uh, eventually turn up at the camp. We meet another character called Rick, who seems to have lustful eyes on Chris um, as the campers uh, settle in Chris gets a little unnervy um, she messes around for a little while with the, with the Rick character in the barn until we see um, uh, well we hear a scream and she goes to investigate um, and then the goofy kid Shelley who was actually quite um, he was one of those love him or hate him characters um, yeah. throughout the entire franchise um, I didn't love him no, I thought it was very annoying. Yeah, yeah. So he's um, he's uh, <laughs> yeah. I think I agree as well. 
didn't really relate to him. He's just goofing around a lot, you know, a lot. Yeah. And um, there's nothing, nothing redeemable about. No, him. no, not at all. He's fucking irritating. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and then he he does that because he's a bit, he's a fat kid. Yeah. It? So and he plays the whole pity card a lot, and yeah, and then tries to make up for it by these pranks that he has or makes. And so, um, in this instance, he falls out the closet with a machete embedded in his head. Yeah. Um, but he's just falling, folks. It's just a trick he's playing on everyone, and everyone just gets pissed at him. Yeah. <laughs> because of it. Funny fact. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, Shelley and uh, Viri then go, they kind of go out, don't they, at one point, and they get roughed up by some biker types at the store. Oh, um, uh, Yeah. With the, the whitest sounding black girl I've ever heard in it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Sanity whiter if you try. <laughs> it's like, what? I'm a biker gang. I'm in a biker gang and I vote conservative. I, I, I'll mess you up, good and proper what? <laughs> <laughs> she was straight out of a rider. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Oh, what are you going to do in the 80s? You're black and you're American. You're going to have to play a, ba- a gang member. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah that's right. Oh, I could say something there, but I'll probably get myself in trouble. Because um, yeah. I don't I don't think that way. I was going to joke, but, yeah, that's not. Um, no. So, um, so, yeah, they get roughed up by these biker types, and Shelley backs over their bikes in the car, you know, with the car, and the guy gets pissed off. Smashes their car window and Shelley just goes back and drives back over over the car um, <laughs> and him and, knock, and knocks him over, doesn't he? I think anyway. Um, uh, knocks his bike over and runs over. That's the wheel. it. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, then we have another three D moment with the yo yo with the one of the young kids. Uh, yeah, with the yo yo. Blasting his yo yo in her face. Yeah, that's as it. You do, as you do when as you're you young do. and dumb. And... Yeah, look what I can do. Oh shit! I've just hit. Um, I'm walking the dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, they re- they return back to the camp, um, uh, and they're being watched. And then, um, and then uh, we have Andy and Debbie's characters, and they go off uh, down to the lake for a swim. Meanwhile, the bikey gang turn up to wreak havoc. Uh, the female bikey, her name's Fox, heads into the barn. She climbs into the attic. Uh, and the other guys uh, still petrol from the car to presumably set the barn on fire. I don't know what they were planning on doing. There's a whole yeah, thing it looked with like it. they were. They were like, yeah. spread, the, spread the petrol out. Yeah. Hurry yeah. up and be quiet. That's it. Like, so that's it really kind of a lame sequence, this. And then, anyway, Fox is swinging on the pulley, you know, that you get out at the uh, yeah. at the barns. And, um, and then she suddenly disappears. Uh, there's another biker guy called Loco who goes in to see where she's gone. He goes into the attic. Huh? His name's Loco. Yeah, yeah, I was looking up the credits. His name's Loco. (laughs) Going Loco, buddy. Huh, Loco? He wasn't that Loco. I've seen seen Loco. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, so he goes goes into the barn to look for uh, Fox. Um, He ends up going into the attic and he finds her impaled to the wall, at which point then Jason comes out and spears him with a garden fork. And uh, the last of the bikies who's left goes into the barn and discovers a dead loco. He then challenges Jason, but is easily dispatched, knocked to the ground, and then clobbered over the head with it with uh, uh, Jason's weapon of choice. <laughs> um, but I don't know what he had. What did he have? Well, I thought it was the machete at first, but 
but it couldn't have been because no. spoilers this particular bike he comes back at the end so yeah. um, I don't know where he was hitting him with but it wasn't enough to, to kill him it looked like one of those little sort of tractions you know like that yeah yeah my, maybe that's what it was I'm, I'm not entirely yeah. sure but yeah anyway yeah. whatever it was it didn't do the job proper you know yeah. um, Chris and Rick continue to talk about their issues um, we have Andy and Debbie going off to their room while Shelley tries to crack onto Vera but she heads off outside leaving him alone we see a figure of Jason coming into view and then Shelley stoking the fire before turning around to look at the camera we then get this brief flashback into Chris's character so Chris mm. is like our uh, our central heroine um, she's younger and she's getting attacked by a guy in the woods she has no memory of how it ended as she blacks out she wakes up in her own bed but never really knowing what happened um, so there's, there's hints there that this was Jason that attacked her years ago too mm. um, Rick and Chris have to walk back to the camp as their car won't start um, and then the two stoners that are left the male female stoner characters in it have crashed uh, out. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, Chuck, Cause they've eaten their stash as well. That's so. it. That's it. They, yeah, that's right. Ah, I missed that too. They thought they, the police were after them and they started just <laughs> wolfing <laughs> down there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was quite funny. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so they kind of pretty, uh, pretty, uh, stoned out of their minds at this point. And then Chuck, the guy goes to the outhouse where it begins to shake. He goes to find out who's behind it, and he sees Jason go into the barn before he then bumps into Chili, um, who's the girl character. They go into the barn to play a trick on who they believe to be Shelley. Jason watches them walk off as they presume there's no one there. Once again, Shelley plays a trick, this time on Vera. We see the infamous hockey mask for the first time. Ah, yeah. <laughs> as he wears it for the scare. Um, so, uh, yeah, the infamous hockey mask that Jason has now become, uh, synonymous and known to, known to. It's the first time we ever see it. It's in the third movie and it's worn it's by... It's weird, isn't it? Isn't yeah. it weird that, yeah. like, the thing that he's most known for yeah. is in the third movie. That's right. And, you know, so for the first two, you don't see shit. Like, no. you don't even see Jason in the first movie because he's not in it. Yeah, that's right. And then, and then the second one, he, he, I think you see some mangy-looking fella. Yeah, yeah, him. that's right. And he has he has a bag over his head. Yeah, that's right. So, like, and, and in the commentary, like, you know, the set the set designer and the costume designer were talking about this and they were saying how um, they didn't really, they didn't really like the, the bag look. They kind of wanted mm-hmm. something else. And in Shelley's... Well, the bag look is, is, is from the town that had to sundown. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So that's exactly what he was wearing. That's right. So, yeah. Yeah. But carry on. No, 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 that's fine. Like, so all I was going to say is that um, so they were going through the stuff that in Shelley's gear that he happened to have and they mm. just kind of went, that would be kind of cool if he put that on. Oh, um, And they that just basically, it. they added some like uh, markings on it as well just yeah. to kind of make it a bit more, uh, you know, unique looking. Darken the eyes up a lot, obviously, round it yeah. to make it a bit more menacing. Um, and that was kind of it. When little did they know that they were creating history just by just, yeah. give, you know, just messing around with props and seeing what they had to hand. But yeah, yeah, there you go. The power of gut instinct, though. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Um, so we, we had the Shelley character. He, he, is, he is a noise coming from the barn. He goes to investigate it. Um, he thinks that it's uh, Chuck and Chili just goofing around in there. Um, and there's a momentary scare where a sandbag falls down in the, in the, uh, in the barn. Um, then we go back to Vera and she's looking at uh, Shelley's wallet. And there's a moment of fondness from her here at this point towards Shelley. She's kind of like seeing that there is a bit of a human side to him. And, you know, um, but she drops the wallet into the water and has to go to retrieve it. Uh, we see Jason arrive wearing the hockey mask. So the fact that he's wearing it is alluding to the fact that Shelley's been killed, not that we've seen Shelley dead yet. Um, Vera thinking that it's Shelley again. And then we get this um, moment where Jason points a harpoon at her and shoots her through the eye with it. And for me, this was the best kill so far. Ah, oh, shit, yeah. <laughs> not only did it, did it work with the 3D... Like with it, with it suddenly kind of coming at you out of nowhere, was yeah. awesome. But the effect afterwards with it in her eye was was really really good too. Oh, it was gold. Yeah, and yeah. so this was at this point I sat up and I was starting to take notice because up to this point I was a bit like, oh, what the fuck. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and I wasn't really connecting with it, and I was just like, oh, that was actually a really good, really good, really good scare, really good bloody moment, and a good use of the visual effects that they had at the time. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, uh, so then, anyway, totally. we, we we then go to this uh, after shacking up with Debbie um, and you know, um, and Deb, Debbie and Andy shacking up. Debbie goes to have a shower. Andy then goes to get some beer. He says the words you should never say in a horror film: "I'll be right back." I'll be right back. <laughs> and for some reason, um, for some reason, he does so to get the beers whilst walking on his hands. Um, which I still don't understand <laughs> why, other than to prove that he's a bit of a full dick. Of, full of hormones and yeah. will do anything to get into her knickers. That's it, that's it. <laughs> yeah. Although he's already done that, so does Again. he really need to do anything <laughs> afterwards? Anyway, um, at which point Jason turns up and bludgeons him to death. Uh, there you just... go, show off. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get for walking on your hands. That's what that was Jason's verdict of his of his uh, circus skills. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that shit. Yeah. <laughs> never, never taken the Cirque du Soleil. No, that's it. <laughs> Debbie the then. Voorhees, uh, Debbie... Voorhees family and Cirque du Soleil do not mix. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, Debbie then goes out to find out where Andy's gone. Um. She give, uh, gives up and then sits down to read a copy of Fangora, or Fangoria, which I noticed, uh, uh, um, on the hammock. And when blood drops down onto her, she looks up and sees a disemboweled Andy on the roof beams. Did you see in the Fangora what she opened it to? No. What it was, was it? an article about Tom Savini. Oh, seriously? Yeah. <laughs> nice nod. <laughs> I was like, hello, this is cool. Yeah, nice. yeah, yeah. I like that. <laughs> that was great. So actually, like, something I should mention too, um, just before, while she was doing the shower scene, there was a bit of nudie nudie um, scene in there. So like, I I don't know if we've had that in this franchise yet. Oh no, there was, wasn't there? When when the girl did the skinny dip in the lake. Yeah. I beg your pardon. I thought there was uh, for a moment. Anyway, it's still worth noting there was a nudie bit. Um, (laughs) For what, you know, no other reason than to just point that out. Um, So anyway, she sat down, she's reading the Fangoria uh, comic uh, 
in a hammock. Blood drops down her head. She sees the disemboweled Andy and the roof beams. We then get a repeat move from Friday the 13th, the original, where she's stabbed from underneath the bed by Jason. Nice. With the uh, spear going through her. That was quality too. That was a good nod as well. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, that is why it's really interesting. Obviously, the reason why uh, she's reading the Fangoria comic with the Tom Savini. Yeah. Because of the kill that's coming up. Was With a the big memorable t- kill, yeah. yeah exactly. That's right. Makes a lot of sense. Because they were, they were. I mean, they obviously re- were referencing Tom Savini in his early, early work. So yeah. it was obviously a disciple of his, or maybe a um, a uh, a student of his. I know he teaches. Um, and yeah, that's a good point. Young talent and stuff. I, so I'm just trying to look it up. I don't have it here, but I'll add it. I'll add it in the. Um, I'll add it in the uh, film notes at the bottom of the um, of the podcast when when yeah, it's no on the website, just to kind of look it up and make a nod to him because I don't, I don't think he did a lot around stuff, so that's why I um I didn't uh, didn't tee it up properly um, in these notes. Um, anyway, so so we have another another person down and out. Um, so uh, we then, um, the lights go out um, in the cabins and uh, Chuck goes to figure out what's causing it. Um, the music comes into play at this point. We see, you know, we see a bit more of that kind of score coming in. Um, he goes down into the basement and then Tilly, the girl, opens the door and Shelley walks in with his throat slit and collapses to the floor. So there's our confirmed death of, she- of Shelley. There you go. Chili presumes he's pranking again, but he's clearly not. Jason then springs Chuck, who's down in the basement, and is thrown into the generator and electrocuting him to death. So another one down. Nice one. Chili finally figures out that Shelley's actually dead, and then goes into this panic mode, running around the cabin, discovering everyone is dead, in possibly what I've written here, the worst acting moments in the film, uh, before being impaled by a hot fire poker. <laughs> Um, Definitely. It was. Um, it was. Oh, sorry. Oh, I've just. I've just googled the makeup artist. Yes. Dan Winston worked on it uncredited. Oh, why? Okay. Yeah. And Ooh, the lead right. makeup artist was Al Alan A. Apone. I don't know what he's done. No. But uh, I thought that was interesting. That Stan Winston. Oh, here we go. He's done makeup on Django Unchained. Uh, Iron Man Free, Captain America. Okay. Far out. He's done a lot of Suicide Stuff more Squad recently. Yeah, as, yeah, yeah. Like, That's interesting. Like hey. head makeup artist on uh, Suicide Squad. Ah. Um, Avengers. So he's definitely yes. walking in the, Mar- yeah. the Marvel universe, isn't he? He's, he's obviously yeah. a, a key player in the makeup world in there. So, um, yeah. so that's that's interesting. And yes, you're right. I did read about the Stan Winston thing, and I, I criminal of me not to to have neglected that actually, because I did read about that. He came on, and he started stuff, but he had to bow out because of scheduling conflicts. Oh, okay. So he wasn't. Um, he was only there for the very very beginning of it. Still, still, way cool. yeah, definitely, definitely, massive, mm. massive. Uh, oh, I don't know about I. I've haven't done anything yet, but I've signed up to the. Um, this I often get the notices of the Stan Winston uh, School of Arts, which oh, has okay. uh, all these kind of like special effects stuff that you can learn. And I keep meaning to do one one of these days, but I never mm. get around to it. But I am keen to learn that stuff because I think it's nice. really freaking cool. 
Um, anyway, so um, so we have uh, yeah. So I don't know if you caught what I just said at the end. So like, oh, well, the worst actor. <laughs> yeah, like it was awful. That scene where she's just suddenly running around the yeah. The cabin. Oh man, and it's just like she, she just didn't know what she was doing. <laughs> um, I but, thought it was because she was trying to play it stoned. But is she that was... right? Okay, but. It was just lame. It, yeah. It wasn't, it, uh, you know, it's bad blocking. I they, think that's it. They didn't it. really yeah. know where to put her. And they were like, okay, well, you're going to die at some stage. So just run up here and run down there. And it wasn't yeah. really a great deal of room for her to move. No. I so think she kind of just kind of made it up by the looks of it. And yeah. And tried to tre- tread in air, basically. <laughs> yeah. I agree with you. Yeah. That's how it came across. It just looked really... Um... Really ropey, um, yeah. and, uh, and unblocked. I think. Uh, well, not good blocking involved within it. Anyway, she's she's killed off anyway, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, <laughs> we then go back to Rick and Chris, who are our sole survivors at this point, and they return to the cabin to find it in disarray. Rick says he's going to go outside to see what's going on. When Chris goes to see where he is, Jason. She can't see him, but Jason is holding Rick against his will and then crushes his head in a really quite funny eye-popping moment, 3D moment. Very uh, Game of Thrones there. Yes, yeah, that's true. Um, (laughs) It was far more gross than Game of Thrones, obviously. Oh, yeah. But like we, have but we this, did get a bit of eye poppage. We have with the yeah the eyeball popping out with the three D thing. But I don't know about you, but it it looked really fake to me. Yeah, it really looked like <laughs> it was an eyeball on like fake eyeball on a stick going forwards. <laughs> like yeah, I don't know. Just, I'm not that yeah, convinced. Did it across a uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. screen across the, towards the camera. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, so yeah, so we we have another guy killed off. Um, and this is um, then Chris discovers that one of the bathrooms is flooded, and blood, bloody clothes are in the bath. She runs outside, where all of a sudden the wind picks up massively. Um, she discovers the loco biker hanging from a uh, hanging dead from a tree. Um, so then she goes back into the cabin and starts to barricade herself in, and we get another repeat scare, very similar to um, the first movie where. Um, the female character's body gets thrown through the window. Yeah, that's right. And we get the same yeah. kind of thing here where Rick's body gets tossed through the window too. Jason then appears and he climbs through the window after her. Chris runs upstairs and then tips a bookshelf over onto him. Um, and then she runs into a closet and locks herself in where she discovers Debbie's dead body. She, and then this is kind of interesting. She pulls the knife out of Debbie's lifeless body... Yeah. And start swinging wildly at Jason and eventually stabbing him in the leg. There's something about there's something quite nice about that because not only is it a bit sick and twisted, um, but also it shows tenacity on her part to yeah. just grab a weapon and it's uh, yes, it's in, in a her friend's body, but I kind of like that moment. I was for a moment I was like, that's actually quite a that's quite she, a cool thing. She made do. out that she was a fighter before when she was telling the story uh, yeah, exactly, yeah. The, that what happened to her two years earlier. That's right. We know uh, she's a survivor. She oh, yeah. now there to, to get away. And so obviously it got it thought to get away back then as well. Yes. Or, um, or something had happened to, yeah, to yeah. make her survive. But, um, yeah, so she's got the fighting spirit. <laughs> she's got a fighting spirit in her. She's a fighter. 
Um, so then we have a, but then like interestingly, like so she stabbed Jason in the leg with the knife, but he pulls it out and then throws it back at her, narrowly, oh, awesome. narrowly missing it, which is another awesome yeah. moment. I thought yeah. brilliant three D moment as well. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, Chris then manages to escape out of the window, but barely as Jason grabs her coat before she can free herself. He managed to run into the one room that had the smallest window window possible. <laughs> Do you know something? Like, like, what are you doing? You know this house. Don't <laughs> run into the, one with the smallest window. Do you know what I thought of in this moment, though? I, w- I instantly thought of, and, and obviously this movie I'm going to reference came after this a lot, a lot later, but I'm wondering if it was a nod to this, but Scream, when Nev Campbell's character ends up in the attic and then has to climb out of the attic, small attic, window oh, yeah. and then she also falls out of that window as the person tries to grab her and she falls to the ground so i don't know whether that was deliberate or not but knowing but because craven and scream in particular is a, is a massive nod to slasher films of the past i wonder yeah. if that was a natural knowing nod to the friday 13th but do they do that in halloween as well i'm sure they did, have done that in halloween where they, the person's ran up to the top of the the house and and climbed up the top top window. I've seen it done a couple of times. I it's in, uh, it's in, Hallow- well. it's in Halloween um, four, where they have um, where they have the rooftop escape with um, with the lead character and and the the girl, the Jamie character. They right. end up climbing up over the roof, and the lead character falls off falls off the roof, and you think mm-hmm. she's dead, but she's not. Yeah. Um, Anyway, yeah, but yeah, good point. It has happened a lot, but I just wonder if, just in that, the reason I mentioned that one is because of the fact that it was up into the small attic space and out, yeah, of, yeah, true, true. out of a small window and then falling whilst, in that case, ghost, in that instance, Ghostface is about to grab her and she falls out. So it's a very similar move Yeah. Um, in this instance too. Um, I don't even know. Anyway, so um, she, um, so what happens there? So yeah, so she, she manages to free herself um, she then waits for Jason to come out the front door to spring him again and and then knock him over, which is weird because then she then goes to get into the car to drive off. Um, so you think, why didn't you just do that to begin with? Anyway, she goes in the car, drives off, but runs out of gas on a wooden bridge. The car starts to fall through the bridge just as Jason tries to grab her through the window. Chris somehow then still manages to escape and then she gets herself to the barn where she seeks shelter. Jason comes in after her, looking for her, and she's she hidden herself up in the rafters, um, out of his line of sight. And then we get uh, there's this moment where he comes in the barn and he's looking for her. And there's I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a really great gif out there at the moment where it's splash oh, on John one side and John Travolta on the other. Yeah, <laughs> doing the same kind of movement. Oh, it's just funny. Ah, oh, brilliant. I'll I'll I'll, look, I'll see if I can grab it and put it on the website as well. Um, <laughs> Jason, so he comes in. Jason comes in looking for her. She's up in the rafters. Um, she then drops down, knocking him to the ground, and then climbs back into the attic part um, as she's locked in. She can't get out of the barn somehow. As she's locked inside of it, she hides behind a bale uh, and then clobbers Jason over the head with a spade. Um, she then uses the pulley to tie it around Jason's neck and hang him. Um, and then, you know, and, and pushes him off. He swings down and he's kind of hanging there. You think he's dead. You hear the snap. But... You hear the snap, that's right. 
Um, so now, now presumably... So that was an effect that he did slapping his thigh. Seriously? <laughs> yeah. <Whoop>. <laughs> <laughs> I slapped my thigh. Um, now, presuming that he's dead, she climbs down from the attic and manages to free herself from the barn. She opens the door to find that Jason is still alive. Um, now, there's a surprise. Yeah, of course. His arm is... Ch- is that right? His arm is chopped off and and Jason wheels into him. Is that right? Yeah. Is that right? Yeah. No, he... Ch- yeah... He chops... Oh, sorry, that's right. I'm, I'm, he chops the, the biker's arm off. I'm not making sense of my notes. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. He chops the guy... <laughs> yeah, he chops the biker's arm off and he's holding into him. Um, while he's distracted from that, Chris grabs an axe and thrusts it into Jason's head. Uh, she makes her way down to the lake, where, like the original, she paddles her way out into the middle of it. We cut to morning. Again, we're getting very similar kind of uh, signature notes from the first film. Um, so it's morning, she's lying motionless in the boat before waking up screaming. Um, the boat hits a log and she gingerly pushes away. Uh, a duck flies down, scaring her. She then bloody sees ducks. those bloody ducks. Um, she then sees Jason from the barn window and he comes crashing out after her. Making some weird, funny faces. Yeah, yeah. That was just weird. He's like, <laughs> baby, Ruth! Ruth, baby! <laughs> she tries to free herself from another log when Jason seems to have disappeared. She looks around to then have Mrs. Voorhees come out of the lake and pull her underneath. <laughs> so again, a nod to the original, but reversing it, so it's actually Mrs. Voorhees coming out. The next scene... Um, uh, the cops are about and mentioned that she's the only uh, mentioned to Chris that she's the only one alive and she's clearly lost the plot because she's talking about a lady in the lake um, she's driven off in the police car as we see Jason's body in the barn still um, you know hanging um, we cut to the uh, oh no it's lying on the floor sorry in the barn we cut to the stillness of the lake before fading to black close credits nice um, so that kind of rounds up, rounds out uh, the narrative of the piece. What was your? Um, so, do you, firstly, do you remember watching it before? I I don't actually. Yeah. I, like I know I saw it ages ago, but I think I said to the last time. I think it's I've only seen it the once. Yeah. Um, whereas the other ones I have seen many times. Sure. So I I don't know if I've actually I don't think I had actually seen this one before. Funny enough. Yeah. Um, which is weird because when we talk about how it's iconic because it's the first time we see the hockey mask come into it, that mm. people like us who are fans of horror haven't kind of uh, observed or watched this one more frequently. Um, yeah. But yeah, like so. But what was your um, what was your reaction after watching it this time round? I liked it. I thought it was a nice little part of the franchise, and right. it really had it. It, it was a nice little art, almost an, another origin film, really, because you got the origin of the mask, yeah. which is kind of a nice, nice thing. Uh, some awesome deaths, and yeah. you know, it's uh, the odd unexplained thing, like how she got away from Jason in the first place. It was yeah. never fully explained. Yeah, yeah. And um, yeah, it was all right. Yeah, I didn't mind it. It was a beautifully shot. Yeah. Like, it actually looked beautiful. Um, I would love to have seen it in 3D, just to get that 3D effect. Yeah, for sure. And obviously, um, they they did well with it. They, um, you know, they milked it. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. They did wherever they could. I mean, like, they basically had 
this really expensive uh, piece of camera equipment. Yeah. And they were just shooting everything they could with it. Um, yeah. They were trying every trick under the sun to try and make the most of the fact that they had this equipment there, which was groundbreaking at mm. the time. Um, now, here's the thing. My, my gut reaction after watching it is that I didn't like it. Um, I thought it was. I thought it by. Far, I thought by far it was the weakest plot-wise that we'd seen so far. But funny enough, after um, uh, you know the twenty-four hour litmus test kind of moment, there are pockets of it that really resonate and still resonate mm. with me still, um, which has made me think that it's probably deserves better than my gut reaction. Um, <laughs> I'd still... Oh, it's got no plot to it. There's yeah. no plot to it. It's just they've gone to the camp, and that's the thing with all of, most of the Friday the Thirteenth. Yeah. Actually, is yeah. they go to the camp and they get killed. Yeah, and that's pretty much it. Even yes. it's even the first one, <laughs> they go to the camp, they get killed. Well, that's it. That's right. But like, here's the thing, right? Where this is because the, I think what annoyed me a bit is that it was it was repeating stuff for me from the first yeah. movie. And I know a lot of that was nods and salutes to it, but here's the thing that's clever about it is that if you do look at this movie as the rebirth of Jason and the Friday the 13th franchise, mm. it kind of makes sense. So you could technically watch this one as your first ever Friday the 13th. Yeah, for sure. And then the rest kind of follows suit. Quite. We could pretty much skip. Like you, you could do one and then go to three. Yeah. And skip two completely. You could. Like it's almost like um, it's almost like the Nightmare on Elm Street. Really, it's like yeah. you had the first one and the third one where both had the same director. Yes. And and the both franchises, the the original director didn't didn't direct the second one, and they balls it up completely. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah, because uh, the second Friday the Thirteenth was awful. Yeah, like, yeah, looking back on it, I was just like, "Man, this is a terrible film." Yeah, yeah. and and they've really just injected everything that we, we liked about the first one. It's come back into the third one. Yes, and so it yeah, it's it's a re re rebirthing of Jason the Jason yeah. mythology. Again. I I think so. I think so. And and then when you look at it like that, it actually starts to actually become a better film because of it. Mm. And that's not to excuse the poor plot line, um, because that still grates with me. Um, but there are enough signature moments in this to make it worthwhile watching and re-watching again. Um, so what we normally do, and we and will do now, is that we'll quickly talk about some of the players of the piece that are, that are involved, some of the actors. Um, just some due nods to, to the, uh, the people that took part. So... The person playing Jason in this movie was a guy called Richard Brooker. Um, now he was a former trapeze artist and stuntman. Uh, he would do. Uh, he would later do a spot of directing before becoming a sports producer um, in, later in his in his career. But the key thing that tri uh, that, I'm, that stood out here for me was the trapeze artist thing, because there are a lot of stuff in here that uh, require a lot of physical work. And you can see that coming into effect, particularly like with the rope swinging down, you know, mm. with the neck, because he's kind of, you know, he has to pull himself up on that too. And yeah, he does. Yeah. yeah. So there's certain things in there that require a lot of upper body strength in this instance. Yeah. Um, and um, while he's no Kane Hodder in the sense that mm. who we now recognise as Jason today, a lot more beefed up, bulky kind of Jason. Because he's a slight guy in this one. He's not as bulked up. Yeah. 
He's a bit smaller. Yeah, but he does make up for it with, like I said, that upper body strength that you see within this movie. Um, so, yeah, so just want to make a, a hats-off nod to him. Um, our lead heroine is, is uh, the character's name is Chris Higgins. She's played uh, by Dana Kimmel. Um, she would learn, she would make a cameo appearance in Happy Days <laughs> before uh, before then famously playing Chuck Norris's daughter in Lone Wolf McQuaid. Oh right. Um, she would play a lot of various TV roles beyond that, but she never really kind of. She is known mainly for this movie. Yeah, um, that's a shame. She was actually quite good. Yeah, she wasn't. She yeah, she was actually to be honest, and um, and a lot more. Uh, and I find. So far, that's been the case with the heroines of, of mm-hmm. Friday the 13th. They've always been... Um, they've actually been strong actors playing playing the heroine, which has served it well. And yeah. this is this is no different. Um, she probably is the only decent actor in this movie. Um, the rest are quite hammy, to say the least. Yeah. Um, we have uh, Tracy Savage, who plays her the friend Dad, Debbie uh, in this too. Um, she probably was a bit more on on the scene, actually. Like she, uh, as in, like when when she was younger, she would star in numerous TV roles, including Little House on the Prairie. Um, after this movie, she actually retired though from acting oh. uh, to pursue journalism, and she apparently covered the O.J. Simpson trials, where she was called to the witness stand to reveal her sources. Right, which is kind of interesting. So she's made quite a career in in uh, journalistic circles. Oh. Um, which is kind of interesting. Um, what did you thought? What do you think of, of of her performance in this? Did you? Yeah, she was okay. Like, yeah, yeah. she was sort of add-on friend. That's a, you know, that's a shower girl, isn't it? Yeah, that's a shower girl. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah she was so good. Best way to remember her. She held um, her own. She was a strong female role. Yeah, she was. Yeah. yeah. And spe- speaking of uh, the the other in female character in this, we had. Um, Catherine Parks, who played Vera Sanchez, uh, she's the one that would get the uh, harpoon through the eye. Mm. Um, she would actually appear on screen as Tina in Weekend at Bernie's, um, the, the the female love interest in, in that uh, movie. <laughs> um, she would also star in, you know, the odd TV episode along the way with the likes of uh, Street Hawk. Yeah, Street Hawk! And, <laughs> <laughs> and Quantum Leap as well, um, amongst nice. their credits. So she's been like a bit of a, a bit player in, a, in quite a few things. I actually, and the reason why I, I note her, not just because of those credits, I actually quite liked her character in this. Um, she's the one uh, one character that had that, um, there was that tender moment or, you know, where she's looking at Shelley's uh, wallet and the photo. And there is, a, and that actually did strike me as uh, a believable moment, mm. um, which I, with all due respect to the actors involved, there was not a lot of believable moments in this movie. Um, but that was one of them. That she I kind dropped of, it into the water, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's it. But that was one of the ones that I kind of went, oh, that actually triggered triggered quite nicely. And it, and it's good in the way that that then leads up to, still for me, was the best death scene in the movie. Oh, yeah. Um, sure. So, yeah, you know, Ju- Julie uh, noted mentioning her. Um just rounding out the uh, couple of the guys in this, so we had Larry Zerner who played Shelley. He's now a lawyer, um, and he starred in oh, one. Good. <laughs> yeah, he's he's actually quite successful in that. He starred in uh, and he did star in another movie called Hadley's Rebellion, um, 
but yeah, he's now. I think he's now, as I said, a lawyer, and he's he sometimes represents Hollywood um, actors as well, in particular, mm-hmm. and kind of does that scene. And I think from uh, from what I read about him, I think he's quite been quite successful in the industry. Oh, okay. um, his character is known for, as I said, for being the original owner of the iconic hockey mask. Oh, okay. um, so his character will always go down in legend because of that. Yeah. Um, Kevin O'Brien plays Loco, one of the. Uh, the bikies in this now and the only reason I mention him is because his most notable movie outside of this was playing the role of Chaz in 1989's Warlock um, I don't know if you remember the Warlock it's when they when fa- they try to do fantasy um, <laughs> many many years ago um, not, not very Sands. successfully huh Julian Sands yes I think that is the Julian Sands one that was awesome yeah, yeah. Um, so he's in that <laughs> <laughs> Again, a character called Chaz, probably very minor. I don't really remember him, but I thought, oh, no, oh, I, I remember the movie. I've the movie is what now. made it stand out. Now, the last person I will just mention on the, on the acting circuit is the guy that played Harold. So he's the uh, the husband character at the very very beginning. Oh, yeah. Now he's played by a guy called Steve Suskind. Um, he was a bit part actor in numerous TV roles and would crop up in the likes of Star Trek V: The Final Frontier as a character called Pitchman. Um, but he would often cast his voice in animations towards the end of his career, and that's what he kind of moved more into. Um, look him up because he does crop up in quite a lot of a lot of animation uh, movies that are. I mean, he was never like the main character or anything, but he does a lot of like the support acting roles yeah. in a lot of those uh, a lot of those movies. Um, so as we mentioned, Steve Mine is the director in this movie. There's not. I'm not going to go into details of his background because we kind of covered that in the last mm-hmm. the last podcast. Other than a note that he is one of the uh, like 80s and early 90s uh, most prominent horror film directors, um, and he's you know he's done a lot a lot of things. Um, but what I'd like to move into now is in an area that I I call the director's note. So it's just some bits and pieces I've read up on. Around the movie and, and the direction that some that kind of might be pushing um, minus kind of thinking behind the creativity side of things. Um, he originally spoke to Amy Still, who played Ginny, uh, the character from the second movie, to have her star as a trauma patient. I want, uh, hold on, I'm, before I finish this, I want to, I want you to tell me if you recognise the plot line. Okay, so he wants her to star as a trauma patient in a hospital where Jason, Jason tracks her down and then goes on a rampage, basically oh, through the hospital. Oh, for sake. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Halloween 2. Yeah, yeah. man. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So I was, like, hearing that, I went, really? <laughs> Okay. It hasn't been done before. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Um, oh, she yes. turned it down. She turned down the role. Um, oh, good. So then they had to rethink <laughs> the plot, and, and and that's what they came up with. Um, as I said, the three D element was introduced in this too. Um, there was millions spent on equipping the cameras. Uh, the, sorry, equipping the cinemas for three D um, mm. to accommodate this movie. Um, and the film actually ended up knocking E.T. off the number one spot in the box office. Jesus. Which is huge. And it, yeah. paved, it paved a new wave of 3D movies because of yeah. the success of this movie. Oh, right. So which this is going is back to what spot. you were saying about how at the time you were aware yeah. of a lot of 3D movies happening. 
It's because yeah. of this movie. And ah, right. not a lot of them achieved the success of this movie. It's still Harold is one of the best um, 3D movies uh, as far as box office receipts are concerned. Mm. Um, not necessarily as far as, as film structure is concerned. Um, Minor was actually... He's a, he's a huge fan of Dial M for Murder, uh, the yeah. Hitchcock movie, which was also one of those movies that was done in 3D back in the yeah. day. Um, so there's kind of little nods to that throughout the movie that you can kind of pick up on yeah, throughout yeah. it. Um, Minor described... He describes Jason in this movie as the living human equivalent to Jaws. I can see that. I was thinking that the whole time we were what I was watching it, actually, yeah. it was they're, they're dropping the hints here and now, and then they'll gear him in, in for the kill. Yeah. And you don't actually see Jason in full form, i.e. the mask, no. until about two-thirds of the way through it. So, That's right. That's right. Um, so, yeah, you definitely got you've got the Jaws moment. So, look, I, I, I think there's something to be kind of said about that. I think there's a, you know, there's definitely a thing about... And just re-watching Jaws recently, I just I, I forget how good that movie is. Mm. Um, and I know people praise it, but like it's one of you know I haven't watched it in ages either. And I just when I rewatched it, I was like, it's really fucking good. Oh look, it made yeah. Spielberg's career basically. Oh yeah, totally. Like he would never have been able to do that. I mean, I know he's incredibly talented, but he would never have been able to be put into the positions that he was. Put no. in afterwards. No, that's if right. If it hadn't been for um, Jaws, that's right. He was it's twenty. He was twenty six at the time of making Jaws. Far out. Yeah. That is just crazy. Isn't he it? was twenty two when he made Jewel. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. Anyway, yeah. that's an aside. We're we're here to talk about Friday the Thirteenth. Last thing I just want to mention again is yeah, the disco theme. <laughs> that oh, awful. God. Because that pops in at the end as well. It's yeah, like, that's for right. Fuck's sake! <laughs> it's by a bad enough to called... hear at the beginning. It was by like a, they made up the band. It was called Michael Zager and Hot Ice. Oh um, Jesus! And um, but yeah, as I said, apparently it was a hit. But there was a cover band that still produced that still does this <laughs> song. And you're like, oh my god! It's terrible. I did a um, I did a my major work at uni was a uh, horror based comedy sort of a. It was like a trilogy, sort of a three nights. Yeah. And it was all about the mythology of the hero in horror. And we had a house band and everything because we had like three stages. Wow. Uh, pyrotechnics and a house band and uh, and a massive screen in the middle of, uh, that we cut to for comic frames and yeah. stuff. And so the, the band was called Des Craven and the Deadites. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, very similar to <laughs> <laughs> to the band name here. I love it. That's awesome. I'm so gonna put that somewhere. <laughs> All right. So, um, look, we're just before we wrap up. What was what's your uh, what was your final verdict on the film? Um, and maybe uh, related to the previous two that we've just uh, that we've spoken about as well. Yeah. No, I liked it. I I did think it was a return to it, it's it's like the Nightmare on Elm Street Part Three of yeah. that franchise yes yeah, uh, this franchise that, yeah. i mean and it's 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 like they got the original director back in they balls up the second one they got the original directors back in to give you a bit more of the same and and just give you a bit more of a reinvention of the, of the genre because it was actually something there yeah that obviously that it was a bigger story with jason and um i don't think they were actually going down the right path in the in the second one so right. it was um it was nice because you as you i'd only said it once so looking back, I was, I'm watching it retrospectively 
knowing that all these other sequels happen afterwards yeah. that you can kind of see it as like an almost an or, origin film with you know the mask and the the Jason in the true form of Jason yes so yes. that was quite nice and the deaths some of the deaths are absolutely awesome yeah so. yeah yeah mm. so yeah, quality for me <laughs> sorry say that again that was quality for yeah, me yeah yeah no that's that's right there's that's that's what I'm saying like there was like as in my my instinct was that I panned it. I was like, "This is awful." I was, I was, I, I really didn't like it when I when I when I came to the end of it. Mm. But those the, there's those death scenes in particular within it. There's some, like, as I said, the iconic use of the hockey mask as well. And it's it's almost like there was things that triggered after the fact after I'd watched it that I kind of came away with. And um, and just re- you know typing up my notes and stuff afterwards, and I'm just like actually I it deserves better credit than I gave it. Yeah. Um, as I said earlier, so um, for me, like for any horror film fans out there, I would recommend them watching this if they've never watched it. They're, and if they're aware of Jason, of course, some of his later ones, this one I would definitely say, hey, go back and check this one out. Yeah. Um, yeah. And watch it in 3D because I think yeah, if you can find it in 3D, if you can find it in 3D, do so. Yeah. I think. I think that will be the little bit that will tip it over the over the edge as far as making it a worthy movie. Yeah, in my sure. And um, I think that's about it, buddy. That probably concludes yeah. our discussion. So, like, that was our third horror film surgery of the uh, Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Do stick around for our next discussion on Friday the Thirteenth Part Four. Um, and actually, we're kind of thinking about rolling that one into a three-part of four, five, and six. Um, as uh, as there's uh, a, a link between those three movies, so mm-hmm. stay tuned uh, for that. And and um, and as usual, if you've got any comments and stuff for any of the listeners out there, just kind of hit us up on our Facebook or on our um, or, or on the website there, or on or on Twitter. In fact, if you want to approach us that way with any comments, let us know your thoughts, and let's let's talk around Friday the Thirteenth franchise. Um, until next time, we are Miles Davies. Bye! And Paul Farrell, your humble host. Goodbye. You're listening to the Surgeons of Horror podcast. Music supplied by Peter Nezik. For more discussions or podcasts, head over to surgeonsofhorror.com or head over to our Facebook and Twitter sites for the latest news and updates.